Welcome to the Beneath Sport Podcast. My name is Daryl. I'm a football fanatic and all-around sports lover. Here at Beneath Sports, we take a deep dive into the landscape of Canadian sports and the people behind it. So tune in every Wednesday when a new episode drops and see what lies beneath. The jersey, the pads, and the helmet. Welcome to another installment of the Beneath Sport Podcast. My name is Daryl, and today I have the pleasure of introducing a very special guest. She is a PhD candidate at the University of Western Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry, as well as the quarterback for the women's the Western women's football team and the founder of the Ontario Women's Intercollegiate Football Association. Please welcome Olivia Ghosh Swaby. How's it going, Olivia? Good. I'm great. Thanks for having me here. It's always nice to be invited to talk more about football and life in general. So, Oh, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so I guess we can go where it all started. Mississauga, Ontario. Can mm. you kind of describe what it was like growing up in the Peel region? Yeah. So, wow. I started in Brampton, actually. That's where I grew up until about grade four. I was actually a competitive swimmer for most of my life at that time. And um, that's all I used to do, go to the the, um, the rec center right next to my building. Uh, and growing up in Peel, I mean, in the region I was in, in Brampton, wasn't the best. So mm-hmm. the fact that my mom found a, or found an opportunity to move out and get a good job, um, we ended up in Mississauga. So I, I've been there since. So I started grade five there. And I think that was kind of the the first time I saw leadership opportunities and opportunities in sport, and that's when kind of skyrocketed my own career, whether whether it be in sport or in just school in general. Um, mm. And and my sport there was volleyball. Like I played with Pac-Man Volleyball Club for a number of years, big club down there um, or up there, and I traveled all of Canada to play, Ontario to play, um, and then my football journey started in grade six. So. Um, I was very fortunate that the Peel region has flag. So what they did was the high schools actually ran programming for the middle schools. And then that's where I kind of came in and tried flag. And I've been playing flag football since. So I don't even know how old I am anymore, but I've been playing, (laughs) I think, almost 15 years now, 16 years now. So it's kind of kind of crazy to see it all come together and back full circle in university. Yeah. Okay. That's actually pretty interesting. The Peel region having such a like a comprehensive like football program, right? Because I know out here we do it just for like maybe grade seven, grade eight, but then you don't really have it going on to high school. Yeah, like it was uh, a varsity program at my high school, and it was oh, wow. we had one of the best flag programs. It actually folded a couple years ago, which is unfortunate to hear. Yeah. Um, but the league is still huge. There's like over forty teams in the Peel region, or oh, wow. most, of the, most of the high schools, because it's like a low bearing sport, right? It's low equipment. Uh, and you just need athletes yeah. to come out and try it. And you can play from any sport too. So No, for sure. And I've always thought it was a really good entry point, like either flag or touch for anyone that wants to play football because obviously the cost in terms of it, in terms of equipment and everything like that. So just to making it more accessible for people, right? Flag and touch was the way to go. Um, so you kind of hinted on your football journey and where it started from, but you're a multi-sport athlete. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what kind of kept you attracted to the game of football? It's because of it's because of the fact that I could apply any sport that I had played in the past into this game. Like track mm. was a huge part of my high school career too. 
um, and being fast and agile. I'm also a little bit smaller. So flag football is kind of kind of works for someone who's tinier too, because uh, when you're trying to pull flags from someone with their hips low, it's almost impossible. Yeah. Um, and then with volleyball, uh, I mean, I had the hand-eye coordinated coordination and being able to use my hands um, instead now to throw a football and even catch. I consider myself a decent receiver too. Okay. Uh, I played every position um, under the sun, so which is awesome. Uh, and that's what's great about football too. Again, you can get involved on the defensive side, offensive side, depending on your skill set. And so, like being a multi-sport athlete, transferring that into football was like easy. And mm. one of those. I don't know. In the football world, it's pretty it's pretty small. I mean, in terms of who stands out in a given sport, like in basketball, volleyball, and who's going to get recruited, who's going to go to play on an OUA or a post-secondary program um, or college in Ontario, for example. Um, and if you don't have the right tools to get yourself recruited and move into that space, you probably won't make the team or even probably not as a walk-on. But what's really yeah. nice about football is that because everyone is kind of starting the game later in life and they're starting probably at university would have been their first experience for most, even in our league, you can just play, right? You come with all these other skill sets that you could have contributed to another sport, but now you're a starter in this new sport because you have yeah. all of the right tools to be successful. You just need to be coached, right? So I think that's why coming back to football was an easy one. And then obviously now I'm dealing with all the gaps and the barriers to getting the game up to where it needs to be. But that that was like my thought process coming back to the game. Nice. And I think football is such a, like a inclusive sport. It depends on pattern, what like size you are, um, height, weight, speed. There's always kind of a spot for everyone compared to other sports. Like say for example, volleyball, like mm -hmm. the height component is a definite yeah. thing. You do, you do need to play it to go on forward, especially if you're going to be in like university and playing U sports at that exactly. type of level. Right. So, but where football is like, we can find a spot for you and just go out and play. Yeah, exactly. And you can just ball out and it's, it's nice because it's got a bit, a lot of strategy with it too. So it's not just about like being good at it. You actually have to know the game mm -hmm. and like understand why you're in the space at a given time, why you have to time out your route this way, why you have to kind of wait deep as a defender and then jump on a ball, stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I always say people who start football, like your first year is going to be trash. It's just how, just how it is until you learn the little intricacies about it. Right. Yeah. Um, so now if we switch gears a little bit and not just about like high school football or anything like that, but the O-W-I-F-A, it's a little bit of a mouthful, but can you kind of explain what that is? Yeah. So we, we like to call it OEFA, but sometimes when people say O-W-I-F-A, it sounds kind of good that way, if you can say yeah. it. Um, so that's, I started university back in 2014 so that was when I started my undergrad at Western came in was like oh I'm gonna try out for the volleyball team I'm gonna play volleyball so I, I did junior varsity volleyball with Western for one year and then in 2015 I'm like you know what let me go back to football I said I was gonna do it at some point in time and play and I went back and played um, football with the Western team um, I was definitely just a rookie I, I just kind of watched things unfold learn more about this version of the mm -hmm. game which this uh, 11 v 11 hybrid non uh, hybrid contact flag so it's got all the same concepts as an nfl game but instead of tackling you're now flagging so i was learning all of the components of the game how the coaches they were all volunteers ran everything kept the team going from year to year did their best to recruit and bring a lot of athletes in from the residence league which was huge at western yeah. there's so many residences with so many students that um there was always a uh, first year 
league there. And then that's where a lot of our recruits come from. Anyway, so I was with that program a few years, um, just learning the ropes. And then in 2018 or 2017, I transitioned into a leadership role with the team and then realizing, oh my goodness, all these teams at the different universities have been organizing and hosting tournaments on their own, kind of yeah. free for all. Let's send out an email, see which teams, which girls can come out and compete. It used to be this huge hurrah at Laurier um, back in the day. It was known as Powder Puff too, so we transitioned mm-hmm. from that name. And then I was like, you know what? We got to be in one spot to talk about these things to keep our league organized. Uh, and literally started with a Facebook group. Um, and oh, wow. from there we're like, okay, what do we name ourselves? So this wasn't an individual effort. I, I was working with presidents across, um, the universities that were competing and yeah. college at the time. And so we chatted about it. So what do we want this to look like? What is our goals? Where do we want to go to uh, bring this going forward? And mm-hmm. so that happened, we figured it out. We had a means of communicating. Our tournaments got more organized. And then by 2018, we formalized ourselves a bit more. And we, we took um, different representatives from the programs across Ontario as executives for our association. And that makes up like the OEFA exec, all, all women doing the behind the scenes work to make this yeah. league happen. Um, and then we're coordinating with all the different uh, programs across the province. And then 2018 is when we built our brand. So I'm the one who does all like the socials and the brand making, all that stuff too. So mm-hmm. uh, visuals. And once that was established, we created all of our social media, brought up our following, uh, made ourselves more known. And then um, people were like coming out by 2019, 2020, which is our um, last biggest season and just coming out to watch the game. They love it. And we get more and more fans every year and we get bigger and bigger, more teams that are becoming recognized and sanctioned. So when I started in 2015, I think only three schools were properly recognized by the university. So that was Matt, that was U of T um, and I'm missing one and York. And then eventually the other schools came on board. We're only seen as club sports, like recreational club sports, which isn't ideal, but it's a starting point. And then we um, can still travel. So we're like an extramural at, at the time. And it's transitioned to more of like a varsity style program because of how mm-hmm. admin works and everything. Yeah. Anywho, so I'm rambling, but essentially that's how it all came together. <laughs> and uh, we're where we are now. And that came with a lot of funding, a lot of additional support and hard work by the women in mm-hmm. our community. No, that's amazing. Um, yeah, thinking about like just like how women's football is come together. I do remember from a lot of friends that were either playing either at Mac or playing at University of Toronto, like back in the day, I guess when you have like, I guess what you say, powder puff uh, football, right? So so to see it come like to current day where you have all these universities hopping on and ideally it's not just becoming recreation, but like something like a varsity sport in itself Mm -hmm. is pretty cool to see. I think the one thing I want to touch on there is, so like I've played football growing up like tackle football and obviously as an adult i transferred over into touch football like more of a seven on seven on seven style yeah what was the decision why did you guys come to the decision to do this 11 on 11 like hybrid contact slash touch flag kind of game we we get this question a lot only because like it's different it's for sure different i mean it it trickled in from the the states i think because powder puff was pretty big at the high school level there and then Mm -hmm. when the teams and programs started way back in like the early 2000s it was like the OUA men's football guys brought in a bunch of girls and were like okay let's go out there get physical and play some football in the snow so obviously what connotations came with that and then eventually um the 
what we recognize as a group and why we didn't transition out of it was the fact that it involves all of the same elements of tackle football, which I think you lose in some of these other versions of the game and allows for other women of different body types to continue playing in our league too. Right. So again, seven V seven, five V five, all favors, agile, fast people usually. Right. Whereas our game allows for both that and those who are want to be more physical on the line. So, um, even with me in the last few years and the the fact that five aside football is going to be at uses a demo sport in LA in 2028, I was like, maybe mm-hmm. we should switch. <laughs> this is probably the time because now we're trying to move towards like the high performance side of things. Right. And we're yeah. trying to get girls to represent team Canada and start playing at another level. And then when we travel around the world, what's the most common version of the games played? And that includes five aside and sometimes seven V seven. But after talking with all the, the presidents of the teams and our exec removing the line was too much it would lose a bunch of potential athletes in playing yeah. uh, and it seemed unjustified to do that now um mm-hmm. but what we're thinking depending on our resources again it's all student runs so we don't really have the time to do this but we do it anyway yeah it's the fact that we can do two two versions right so we can have uh, two divisions the 11 aside and the five aside so we do that in one tournament or a two-day tournament for the for future years. So we have okay. development on both ends. Yeah. And then you can play both like different styles of games. So yeah. Okay. No, I like that. It kind of opens it up for everybody. And multiple different provinces do it, whether it's going to be six man football, nine man football, the original like twelve on twelve, right? So yeah, there's definitely room for it. And I feel like definitely an interest for it as well too. Um so like the UEFA has grown quite a bit in the mm-hmm. past couple of years. And earlier this year, you guys had a pretty good like uh, news that came out with uh, Sheridan College becoming the first post-secondary institution to have like a varsity team with a paid like and hired staff. How huge is that? And how did that come about? Okay, sometimes I don't think other people realize how big it is, but it is pretty big because yeah. For me, it was a shock. I had a meeting with them a couple days ago being like, okay, they wanted to know what do they need for their program? What are we looking, what should they be looking for in a head coach? What does facilities need to be aware of so that they have the right resources to be successful? First off, no other school has ever done that. (laughs) So that's already a stepping stone. Um, And the the second part is they were talking about the fact that everything they get is the same treatment as any varsity program. So that includes um, TENS, athletic therapy, um, built. Uh, the boards, the scores, the updates, the staff, um, getting fans involved in the game and having all the crowd control, all of that um, is is elements they want to include. They want to get personalized and um, customized flags for their, their girls. They're going to have a full uniform, top and bottom. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then like you mentioned, the hired staff. And so th- this is huge because one, it opens the door for more of the college programs to join our league, which is definitely what we want. And mm-hmm. then two, lead by example. So if this school is willing to invest and invest in women in football. And then let's see, it takes off next year for them. Yeah. Like all the schools are well behind now, right? They need to start. Come on, you sports. And- yeah, literally like, like <laughs> such an, I don't know, maybe I'm coming from a space where, like, I think it's easier said than done. I think students do things more with more urgency than any administration yeah, yeah. and with way more yeah. innovation, you know? So for sure. <laughs> I would say, I would say in Sheridan's defense though, like uh, enrollment wise, like they're one of the bigger colleges Fair in the area. Point. I think it's like somewhere close to like 18,000 they have enrollment. 
Yeah. So they have a little bit more cachet compared to some of the other colleges. But I mean, you're looking at U of T, you're looking at Mac, you're looking at Western, like your enrollment's not not small by any means. So I feel yeah. like Yeah. I, I don't know. Like a lot of it does come down to funds and resources. Like mm-hmm. I think that's a problem in Canadian sports in general. It's just like not yeah. enough admin working behind the scenes. They're overworked and then they can't accommodate other sports. But I, my problem is it tends to exclude women sports. Mm-hmm. So if it's not women's football, then it's like um, synchronized swimming or the women's side of water polo if that doesn't exist at a program or they're going to cut a women's program first before a men's program. Like, yeah. Like where are we finding that balance and when when do we have to realize for there to be like that equitable change that you actually have to invest in supporting women in, in sport in general, right? So and that comes sure. with with sacrificing resources. So Yeah. Well, talking about women in sports, uh this topic's been pretty like heated over the past couple of years in terms of um like equality, diversity and inclusion across all industries, right? How has WIFA gone about making um, equality, diversity, and inclusion a part of their organization? Yeah, like I, I kind of mentioned this in passing, but we're all women run right now. So mm-hmm. uh, nine of us that sit on the exec, all women, all at different career stages, all different ages, all different backgrounds, a part of many different identities. Um, I, I mean, I love the fact that as someone who's Black, it's Black-led right now, which is also yeah. really um, um, the other part that we take advantage of is the individual programs across the province are also all student and women run. The coaches, we're trying to bring in more women into, so that's kind of the, the place that we are prioritizing. So our alumni now are finally starting to realize that the league is getting better and the only way they can now be a part of it, even though they didn't get that amazing experience when they played is now to stay on as a coach. So Hop we're seeing on, yeah. that. Yeah, we're seeing that transition now. Um, the other thing is, is we do a lot of professional development workshops, mm-hmm. especially during the COVID times. We are pandemic times. That's what we did. We did. Um, we brought on some big names from the NFL to talk about careers in, in football, whether it be in communications to coaching to administration and football operations. And then we're working on mentorship programs for, again, for the coaching side, hopefully hoping to launch that in, in April for women and black and indigenous um, individuals in coaching. And then, um, uh, and then, yeah, we're taking advantage of kind of the opportunities that have also opened up with that, which includes, we got funding from the Canadian girls and women in sport foundation. Um, Mm -hmm. We're, teamed up with the Black Canadian Coaches Association where, yeah, so we're really just trying to show that a student-led group can also prioritize all those other things that come with being an athlete, which is includes your identities, includes being a student, and includes, like, future careers. No, that's cool. And, like, yeah, I always say about this with talking about, like, either bringing in pro sports for women and everything like that. Um, and ideally, like, with OEFA becoming so big, I hope CFL doesn't miss the boat with this, but, like, when you want to talk about like diversity of strength, like empowering like an organization like this, this is probably one of the most like diverse organizations you can have. You're talking about women, <laughs> women of women of color, and then women yeah. along all gender spectrums, right? Like it doesn't get any more diverse like that, right? So like hopefully, I, I will say, sorry, to yeah. put in, I will say those groups are working with us. So this, okay, <laughs> so oh, okay, 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 what did that be? within the CFL. So the CFL yeah. themselves within the CFL and within mm-hmm. kind of CFL adjacent. So like MLSC, for example. So yeah. we're, we're making moves and they're supporting us behind the scenes. We're, we're getting, we're 
prioritizing our season right now, but all of that stuff will come out and we'll, we'll yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll keep it low key. I see. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, so, but staying on the topic of uh, EDI, um, so you're a black woman, but a black woman in neuroscience, which some may say is very uncommon. How have you navigated through being a person of color in academia? Oh, million dollar question. I mean, I'm still learning the ropes because mm-hmm. I'm still like, especially at Western, I'm still the only one. So it's like, I'm getting asked to do a lot of extra work on top of my own thesis, which I'm trying to finish up um, yeah. by being like the the woman who's black, who has a perspective. So um, navigating means one, like, okay, I still have to make my voice heard in a lot of spaces. So whether that be in a meeting, whether that be discussing science, whether that be even saying I'm a, a neuroscientist in training, and then others be like, oh, wait, you're you're that high up, you are that educated. And I'm like, yeah. Um, other stuff includes like when I get, when I'm getting asked to do all this extra work, like sit on this committee so we can help improve EDI at the school. I have to start yeah. saying no, because like yeah. I'm getting asked to do these things so frequently and with no compensation that it's like not worth my time. So mm-hmm. understanding when to say no is something I'm navigating now. Cause like I have also this uh, my own morals and I just don't want to be the person to say no to something and close the door for someone else. So I'm always like teetering with that. Um, and then of course where I go next. So the mentorship component is a little bit harder to find because there's not that many people I identify with um, who look like me, but mm-hmm. uh, there are quite a few allies that are at least supporting me in my career trajectory. So I'm learning how to um, not be shy to ask for favors and to ask for a little bit of support when I'm trying to get a role that I need. Um, and then, yeah, and I, I really try to lead by example, um, keep applying for scholarships to keep like my work going and to keep myself funded, all that. <laughs> so it's a lot. Yeah. No, 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 I understand that. Like representation is such a big thing, right? And like, like you said there, you don't want to essentially close doors for other people. And I think other, a lot of people don't understand it in terms of like, when you're talking about being a person of color in certain organizations because you're kind of catching it from both sides so it's like people want you to be this representation factor but people are also dragging you for being in the space that you're in Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but people don't really people don't really understand like you're kind of taking the arrows for people that have to come after you in that sense and i i think that should be a little bit commended a little bit more in terms of like yeah you're the only person here but thank you for being the only person here because when the next person steps in the door they understand this is not impossible it is possible to be there yeah that's huge. Really well said. I, I completely agree. I think the other thing there is that like what we find many black people, many uh, individuals from like underrepresented groups, they need to recognize that their own success, like the fact that you can move for, further in your career and whatever you do will actually still is actually a success moment in EDI in itself. Yeah. So it's like, okay to be selfish to get there because like you said, it's going to open up the, make it easier for whoever comes next. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> um, so, talking more about like your neuroscience like background, like you're an athlete, but like that in neuroscience doesn't fully go hand in hand. Sometimes when people think of like athlete and then academia, where that kind of passion for neuroscience come from? 
Yeah, so I have a bit of a, like a family ties to neuroscience. So one, my cousin, who's really close to me, she was born mm. with a neurological disorder where her brain was completely smooth, and that just like completely delays development uh, and also shortens lifespan. So she passed away yeah. at like at five or six, yeah. and then I'm like, okay, why didn't we have more information on the on like one this disorder, two neuroscience in general. There's just a lot of cool questions you can ask in neuroscience and how to protect the brain, how to boost the brain's health. So that's why I was like, okay, I definitely want to pursue neuroscience in some way. So I was thinking medical school, I was thinking a PhD, I was thinking both. Decided to do the PhD because it just kind of lined up with my own uh, goals and tra uh, trajectories. So stayed in the the PhD side of things. Um, when it comes to like being an athlete in both, usually, yeah, I don't under, understand why people don't realize athletes are very smart. And if not, they're also balancing a crap ton. So being able to be academically successful, but also perform in a sport is way harder than it than many realize, especially if they don't come mm -hmm. from an athletic world yeah. um, or from one of the worlds. So um, what I love is that my work looks at exercise and how exercise improves the brain. So, of course, being an athlete fits into that really nicely because I'm hitting exactly what I should be in my own research so that I, mm -hmm. I think my brain is a little bit more powerful than the average because I work out because I play a sport. And yeah. the second part there is like all the skills that I get within my PhD is really, really helpful for running an organization like Aliva <laughs> and running football because it's like, uh, it's you're basically a project manager all all day all all the time uh, in my own PhD and now I do that in in sport so mm -hmm. all of it overlaps and then of course I'm an advocate for flag football so uh, obviously stepping a bit away from the tackle because again that has some repercussions for your, our brains um yeah. also see the value of the game still uh it's just that i think flag allows for many to get introduced to the game and for it to be low contact and a little bit safer so yeah fair enough um so yeah just like primarily focusing on like the topic of neuroscience it's a little bit broad like do you mind like giving kind of just like a primary focus on i guess your scope or like what you're working on in terms of like your dissertation yeah, so I have like kind of three major areas. So my priority is looking at neuroplasticity. So the ability to rewire and reshape um, how our neurons and supporting cells function and work together in the brain. So um, in that work, there's ways you can boost neuroplasticity, you can really heighten it so that we can improve memory, so we can improve cognition and how we think. And that's what I look at. So one, including exercise. So I do exercise in rodents. Um, I see how that improves their brain. And then I test them on a bunch of like little memory tasks that allow us to, to measure, okay, can we see improvements? And then I also look at it in the context of poor diet. So I make uh, rodents really fat. And then I try to rescue <laughs> that, their brain and cognition because what we see with poor diet is that we see uh, decreases in memory um, and uh, decreases in neuroplasticity. So I reverse it with exercise, see improvements in the brain. I do the same thing with anti-diabetic drugs because they're they're considered these exercise mimetics. So like they copy what exercise does, but without the exercise. So I look at yeah. uh, metformin, which is a very common diabetic anti-diabetic drug, uh, and I do the exact same kind of thought. Can I rescue what we see with this poor diet in rodents uh, and then... Uh, improve their memory and their neuroplasticity. 
which I have found in my work. So I'm excited to write that up in my dissertation. And the second part to that is doing the exact same thing in humans. So what I care about is translation. So doing all this stuff in rodents isn't as easy for some to understand in terms of a human lens. So I am now working with older adults. So that's kind of my model. Older adults at risk for diabetes, similar to like obese mice and uh, working them out uh, two times per week over six months to see if that'll help improve their brain. One, brain structure and and different uh, areas of the brain and two, their memory. Yeah. Okay. Dang. Sounds like a lot. That's more than I know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like <it. laughs> yeah no, 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 that's good. And I think it's like you're really actually trying to drive home the point of like, like exercising and athletics doesn't lead to like kind of leads to being you, you being intelligent and how your your mind works and putting that all together right so yeah plus oh, all the other sweet. stuff i mean athletes are leaders they work in teams mm-hmm. they can be individuals and like or individual athletes too and all of that makes them yeah you have so many cool skills being an athlete so yeah yeah um so this will be a little bit of a sidebar question but i think this might be like a major key for some people so like you have all of these things on your plate how do you manage your time and all of that? I definitely don't do it well. Okay. I I am really busy all the time. I'm probably like the worst when it comes to like emailing back. Like you'll get me at a time where I'm right on my email, I email you back right away or I'll never ever get back to you. So it's like one or the other because I'm trying to juggle so much. So like I have a lot of moments where I'm like, oh crap, I don't know if I can handle all this stuff right now. <laughs> um, but what I, I – Everyone says this when they're busy people, but they thrive under pressure and they thrive under being busy, which I do agree with. But lately what I've been using is like my calendar. I live by it. So like anytime someone's asking for my time, I'm like, please send me a calendar invite. You you told me today. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Or else I will like genuinely forget. And it's not because I don't care. It's just because that's just life. Um, So I would live by my calendar. The other thing I do is... um, I delegate a lot of this work. So Hmm. as much as I can, I'll be like, hey, can you help me out with this and get this done? And my PhD, I have a ton of students. So my students also help me out uh, to get my work done. So sometimes I can be off doing other work and then them actually doing my experiments and vice versa. I can do my experiments while someone's helping cover like football related stuff. And then what's really nice with how we run our Western women's football program and team is that all of our practices are super early in the morning. So we nice. practice at 645. It, it never interferes really with anyone's day besides getting you up super early. So I still have time to do all the other things I need to. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, everything else is on weekends otherwise. So I've kind of found the balance. I have cut down on other things. So um, I would always like do a fashion show or volunteer in the community. But now I just don't have that time because I'm time, like, yeah. I'm volunteering to run a tournament this weekend, like for example. So yeah. Now I'm like, okay, I'm going to prioritize maybe three main things, obviously my own research to my football career, um, as far as that'll go. And then three, Mm -hmm. like friends and family. So that's what it comes down to now. Okay, sweet. Um, So looking at like both of your passions, right? Awifa and neuroscience. Where do you see Awifa in five years? And where do you see your career in neuroscience in five years? Okay. So um, neuroscience in five years. So this fluctuates like every other day. (laughs) Don't quote me on this now, but I'll say where my thought is. Um, I am like considering doing medical school after this. So I'm going to be in school forever. Uh, And 
uh, look at a job there. I might actually stop after the four years and not do like a residency and move into industry because I think a lot mm-hmm. of the skills that I get from working with an organization like OEFA and then also having all this huge extensive neuroscience background is the fact I can work with people. I can um, develop and talk about things, I think, fairly simply when it comes to the science. So why not move into industry? And there's no harm in that. And it's a lot more forgiving than ac- academia, which doesn't pay well. <laughs> so I'm also thinking, what a, what's a secure job and what's something that I know will fit my skill set and I'll enjoy doing. So that's what I'm thinking about right now. But then in the back of my mind, I'm like, maybe I should just switch into a career in sport. Uh, and so that, that'll kind of lead to the OEFA side. So OEFA in five years, um, we're working on our not-for-profit status. So that's a big thing. Um, we become a division of or an associate member of Football Ontario. But I think what we do, we do best. So yeah. building our brand and kind of becoming our own very independent organization will help um, the league going forward and our athletes going forward and who we partner with, where we travel, et cetera. So that's that's a priority within the five next five years five years on top of that it would be um getting more teams in our league so right now we're sitting at eight um the furthest out i guess would be out um east is queens we want to get into ottawa carlton um brock because there's a lot of uh, flag athletes in brock because burlington has a really good program and some tend to go there um yeah Nipissing, uh, so more north if we can, but that becomes harder for for how we travel and travel. So again, where where teams pop up, expenses also come with that. So mm-hmm. it's kind of finding the happy medium, and then more colleges because, like in a perfect world, I see a WIFA, and then I see us having our if we need to separate a university division and a college division, right? Yeah like uh something like that and then have a bit of a crossover at one point in time and etc a perfect mm-hmm. world as other provinces follow suit and like i think we talked about this on twitter a bit is having yeah. a championship and football canada is attempting to do that this year but i'm seeing that more as like a battle between quebec and ontario maybe a few teams yeah. out west but none of them are under their university whereas quebec has um uh, flag five aside flag football as part of their D three in our okay. RSU. So they actually yeah. have teams that have been running Concordia, Montreal, Quebec, uh, Sherbrooke, etc. So um, we would play them. And what I also see is obviously more of our brand out there in terms of like who's backing us as a group, who's an organization that we want to partner with, and mm-hmm. more funding dollars. So those are those are the priorities. And then hopefully all the schools that currently exist in our program are seen either as sport competitive sport clubs, not recreational sport clubs, or mm-hmm. varsity programs. Um, but it's tricky because some schools see varsity as under the OUA and some don't, but they have to be under these certain, like they have to have certain funding guidelines for those programs. Yeah. Well, trickling in that way. And then what I was mentioning with my own career is maybe I stay in sport and get a good job either building this league or I would probably go to the States if I want a career in, in sport and trying something there as well. So Fair enough. Um, in terms of a WIFO, do you, I guess the ultimate goal, have it become part of eSports or stay at separate entity? I don't know. I, I think about this all the time. So like what would make me really upset is after all the work that we put in now and then we become a part of the OUA, because obviously we're Ontario, so that's where we go first before entering eSports, is yeah. we'd be seen as a G3 sport. And how things work with the OUAs like G1, G2, G3 is that G3 is like one tournament and that's it. 
and no media coverage. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So it's all the the other sports like football, basketball, volleyball that get the media coverage, and we wouldn't. So it seems like a downgrade, as bad as that is to say. Yeah. But at least there's the benefit of okay, the there's now a governing body who takes away all the workload off the students so that all of our athletes can finally just go and play and not mm-hmm. have to think about our travel, not have to think about our co- accommodations, um, not having to plan practices to hire their own coaching staff. Like that would be amazing yeah. uh, is having someone else prioritize that work. Um, but then again, the perspective of the student in this, like having an ambassador has to stay. Cause I think what yeah. we see is um, when you start moving into these other big organizations that have like smaller ish, um, staff that are dedicated to multiple sports. They don't mm-hmm. prioritize these things. They don't think about new innovative ways, yeah. especially when it's less diverse too. We already, we already know what representation looks like at the upper levels. So yeah, like, yeah, that's why I'm like having an internal struggle with what we do yeah. there. And then I think it'll also restrict a lot of other programs from entering. So like some schools can get away with this probation period of, okay, we're applying to be a club with our school. Give us a year. Let us get through that process, but let can we compete in the meantime? Like stuff like that, right? So yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, and that kind of drives home the because I was listening to another podcast you were on. You're talking about like the UEFA being like a athlete centric league, right? Yeah. In that sense, so I guess that's what drives home like you're not just doing it to kind of play ball, but just to make sure you're developing athletes and making sure that everything is fair across the board. Them. Yeah, and that they're like there's other places they can go after this. So like mm-hmm. I swear a lot of a- varsity athletes identify with their sports so much that when they graduate they no longer know like they mi- they're missing a chunk of their identity. So like how yeah. can we carry that forward in different ways? And I think the athlete centric focus where you get their opinion and input will allow that to be a little bit easier. But again, I still see the benefit of it not being on the athletes to do all this work because it's already hard enough to be an athlete. Oh, for sure. Especially when you have like school on top of that and everything like that. And yeah, I think that more holistic approach. And I had it on a previous episode with uh, the university coach at uh, Western or not Western at um, Windsor men's basketball. And he's talking about we just have we have the athletes come in, but it's not just about like just basketball. But how are they doing in terms of like finances and vocational stuff and education and just having that overall um, outlook on life? So that when they leave the University of Windsor, that they're better people, not just athletes. Yeah, that's 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 key. I really like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so time to just wrap things up. This is one question I ask every guest. So if you have the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with 12-year-old Olivia, what is one piece of advice you would give her and why? Hmm... I would tell her to be prepared for a lot of no's Mm -hmm. and a lot of like unanswered calls and return return information that you need and to keep like persevering forward with like what you need to get done for yourself. So whether that be reaching out to someone who hasn't gotten back to you in a couple of weeks and be like, Hey, we're here still. I need this. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do this. Help, help me out. Um, that that's something that I want any 12 year old just to know going forward that you can't be waiting on other people's time. You got to work to make sure that you have the allies in the right places, essentially. Um, I think that's a big thing and never be discouraged by the no's because they're going to, you're going to get way more of those than you will get yeses. So, yeah, sweet. 
Okay, perfect. Well, thank you, Olivia, for just taking your time and uh, just allowing people to hear your story and just everything you're doing with WIFA and within your academic uh, career. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun just to talk. No, no, no problem. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of the Beneath Sport Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beneath Sports and check us every Wednesday on all podcast platforms. See you in the next one. Deuces.